You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. Well, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. What? Uh, how, how's uh, down south and overseas doing? Talking to me, not too shabby. I was actually in San Marino um, the other day. It's the one of the smallest countries in the world. The oldest surviving republic. Abraham Lincoln is actually an honorary citizen. Fascinating history, and I have some videos for you guys. Oh, cool. So, yeah, cool. pretty neat. What, what a life. Hey, down south, we're doing a lot of things, too. I got some videos. See mine? <laughs> Not a lot has changed. <laughs> Actually, I think you added, added uh, something. Oh, you know you what, Andy? I got that Lifetime Achievement Award, you know, through Remax. You did. Yeah, I got Lifetime Achievement. and But I'm thinking about it. I'm like, Lifetime Achievement is pretty much like I'm dead. I mean... It was I don't know how much of a compliment it was, but I think it I think it's more of a milestone in your career where they um, years of service and and amount of you know uh, customers you've helped over the years and it it's saying that you've basically you know achieved um, and this is the way I interpreted it as a normal agent's um, or an excellent agent's like version of what a lifetime of business is and you're you're not even done yet so you're exceeding that you know well. I'll it's close though. It's probably really close. I, I still think we should get a, a pool going together to see how long it's going to take Nick to go through the entire dating pool in Italy before they kick him out. <laughs> hey, I'm going, you, going, I'm going to Spain tomorrow, so I'm going to go to the next oh, dating pool. What? Uh, what? Yeah, I'm putting my toes in the water over there. Um, what city are you heading to in Spain? Uh, Mallorca. It's it's an island uh, by Ibiza, kind of off yeah. the coast. Dude, that's Please get pictures there. That's amazing out there. DCC. My my uh my son Connor went a couple years ago, and they hung out all over. They, they his buddy was doing a um what do they call that when you go to college over there study abroad. Yeah. 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 Barcelona, and then they uh they wandered all over the place, and they were out there for about a week and a half, and got some of the stories. I, you know, I missed all that. I never when I was a young guy. Never had that opportunity, but like my son Connor goes, we're flying in, we're going to Amsterdam. And he goes, first thing we do is we go to the off-duty store. We buy a jug of scotch because it makes sense. We didn't know why. And he goes, we're sitting on the plane, and they crack it on the plane and start drinking it, <laughs> which wow. I guess is illegal. But they got <laughs> away with it. And, and the, the way the people are sitting around me goes, you want a glass? So then he goes, we get off the plane, and he goes, we're so drunk. He says, we don't know how to get on the train. So he goes, thank God there was a nice guy there that spoke English that said, where are you trying to go? Get on that train right now and ride that train until it gets to this exit and then get off and call your buddy. 
I think that's I think that's the way I was too when I went overseas. Uh, we had to go to Amsterdam first, and then we transferred over to. I mean, he was in Denmark at that time, and uh, I tell you, it's it's just a whole different feel when you're in a different country, and it, and and maybe it really isn't, but you kind of feel like you're, you know, when English isn't like the number one topic there, you feel kind of lost. Yeah. Well, you know that, and the, the clothes are just a little different, and uh, the food, the restaurants, everything's just a little different, which adds to that element of fun, which which encourages people to want to travel. So, yeah. that's cool. So, what's the difference in the in the market right now? It's kind of, I think, just kind of plodding along. Um, I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's um, as great as it once was. We're getting a little more inventory. I mean, listings are coming on. They are going off and selling fast too, but um, there's also listings that are going to sit for a little while, you know? Yeah. So it's it's hopefully, hopefully, because I want that. I want it more normalized. I think uh, yeah. I just, uh, you know, going back to be able to, um, maybe even from your buyer standpoint, you know, um, you know, pay fair price, but not have to just, go in and, and everything's a fight and try to see how much more you can pay for it. And mm -hmm. I hope it's fair pricing, everything works, but- um, you, you want a feel good market. What's that? You want a feel good market. I think that there's, when it's a little more balanced, I think it, it feels a little more win-win. Um, you know, and I, I'll be honest with you, I've even had some of my own um, sellers recently now where they're a little more market time where we used to sell in hours and now it's taking days. Um, but as a seller, you have to be realistic. You can't just sit there and have your house listed. You got to read the feedback. You got to look, hey, if I've had 10 showings and I'm getting no action on this house, price, condition, location. Those are all the things I look at. Can't change your location. You can adjust your price and you can change the condition. So if you're looking at feedback and everybody says your house is filthy, clean your house. Pull it off the market, have a professional come in, have it cleaned, or the carpets are dirty, or they think the windows are bad, or whatever the thing that might be holding people back from writing that offer make an adjustment it's kind of like being in a race and saying i'm going to race the whole race without tweaking something on my engine just running it with a with a bah, 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 bah. no take it on that take take a pit stop fix the items that need to be fixed address the problems and then get back out there and win the race because you're doing yourself a disservice just thinking that you don't have to pay attention to that stuff yeah and andy i think that's great advice to be able to tell someone that hey we didn't we maybe didn't quite hit it right for that market we might have thought we did but um, we have to regroup here kind of fast and acknowledge it and then come back on. So, yep. So, should get in our first topic. Uh, what could derail your financing? Mm -hmm. Lots of things. Um, we're, we're running into one that um, past things that you think uh, might, uh, might have been taken care of show up again. Um, when credit agencies report, they go to three credit report agencies and maybe something showed up on one of them and you got that taken care of. Now it's close to closing. All of a sudden it shows up on another one and you have to take care of that thing before closing because they'll, they'll turn around and re-up your, um, your final approval. So they'll look at everything again. Um, sometimes credit cards, you know, when you think you're, you're good to go and you want new furniture for that house and you go in and and you take that, uh, put it on your credit card, all of a sudden that thing shows up and it becomes a payment and uh, it's a problem or worse, that it becomes um, like a 12 month non-interest type thing. And that still counts against you. So 
you just got to lay off of that stuff and just kind of keep it clean until you get to closing. So the other thing is, is that you hear, um, and, and, and God bless them, loan officers are technically bank salespeople, and no matter how you want to look at it. So sometimes they're telling us the things we want to hear to get the business, to get the business. And when they're really, really busy, like they have been the last year and a half, um, I'll be honest with you, the quality of the screening hasn't always been the best. And so there's people that are saying, yep, looks good, looks good, looks good. Oh, you pay child support? Oh, you have a judgment against you? Oh, and they're not, they're not getting the full underwritten approval done for you. So as a buyer, you're thinking, hey, I'm good to go. And the lender said so. And so let's go and waste a ton of time looking, hunting, writing the offers. Can you, can you imagine, Chris, paying to go on a guided elk tour hunt? And you're all in Colorado. And you guys spend days backpacking to get in there. And then you get there and there's no bullets. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I look at that as the same example. So now, now you're basically, hopefully, have, uh, you know, filming your camera so you can take good pictures because you're not going to be uh, harvesting anything. So the, the idea there is, is that if you're out there hunting for a house, make sure that you have your financial um, bullets in the chamber ready to go when you need them underwritten all the way through the approval process verified income verified assets you don't you you want to make sure that your lender is getting you approved beyond just saying oh you have an 800 credit score and your your income is what you look good here's a letter right so that's yeah. what i would say you're so i mean gosh this is twice now you're so right on that because it, it is happening that people are kind of just saying to the buyer <laughs> Hey, you, you are, I mean, you are getting paid. What are you getting paid by the way? Oh, I get paid 150 grand. Well, maybe it's really 120, you know, and, and maybe right. some of the others, a, a non identified or non, um, uh, provable, uh, what is it? bonus, you know? Yeah. And so they think that's what they make, but they don't. And then they say, okay, yeah, you do this. Yeah. You'll have no problem qualifying. You know, if you have any late payments and, they don't they have it they don't go quite through it they think okay yeah it's good enough we'll be able to get through the other stuff if we have to and sometimes you can't get through the other stuff in time for closing well you know and i've even heard people saying you know oh i've been in sales for years and then they they go to get qualified and they've only been in that job for a year and it's a different industry and now it's not just sales it's actually a different industry and the banks are smart enough to know that saying hey there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to be successful in this industry yet until you prove it so Two years of track record is very important with any commission base. Um, pandemic based. Now think about this for a second. So now there's been a lot of people with salaries and commission, and then they were laid off for two months until the the you know employer could figure out what to do with these employees. And then you're back. But now there's a there's a gap in your income history. Those kind of things they go back. And there's all these new COVID rules too, where they're saying, hey, did you consistently have a paycheck the last 12 months? You know, and they want to know that stuff, and they're holding it against you. So. Um, what's funny is how he's look at the news and the media and the government saying, oh, we'll give everybody paychecks. It's going to be great. But if you're actually out there wheeling and dealing and buying stuff, the banks want to see that you have money coming in the door to prove you can pay that payment back to them. Yeah. It's interesting too, is that they wanted to make sure during COVID from commission based people that your income still was equal or greater than before. And I mean, so it's, it's just like, what? I mean, everyone, everyone in the world has been getting PPP loans and, um, extra money and, you know, that they're helping the COVID people when you're self-employed, if you're, if your money didn't at least equal or greater than you're in trouble, 
you know, you're not going to be able to qualify as much. So well, you know. and, and not to keep, I don't want to keep beating this dead horse here, but I'll tell you what, um, how many times this has happened to me numerous times in the last probably three months where they'll all of a sudden the buyers will come in as a listing. So you're the listing agent and they come in and they say, okay, we're uh, 10% down conventional. And then they switch to three and a half percent down FHA and they think that there's no big deal and they don't understand the, all the, you know, the, the other things that the triggers that, that have to be done, the other rules that now are being looked at versus other rules. And, and so what I would say to you is this, I may have not agreed to your offer based on the financing you switched to. No problem. Put $10,000 non-refundable down on the purchase then, and we'll let you switch your financing. Right. I mean, think about this for a second, guys, yeah. I mean, those buyers and sellers that are out there and, 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 you know, they may need to switch, which is fine. We all have situations where we have to make adjustments, but you need to have the consent of the actual seller to make sure that that flies through as well, because without that consent, you basically have breached that contract. And a lot of people don't think that's true, but it is. Yeah. And by the time the seller goes down the road and someone switches, you're too far down the road to be able to say, no, forget it. You know? And so it kind of, it kind of stinks and people switch loan officers and it happens all the time. I've had it happen with my own buyers. I don't even know, but all of a sudden they switched. I'm like, what? How did that happen? You know? Yeah. So. We, we've had a cash offers that came in not, or excuse me, we had a cash offer come in in one of my listings about, about a month ago after it closed. Um, it's closed now. And a month ago, they, they said we're cash. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting there and two weeks later I get an appraisal order. I'm like, what, what the heck is this? And they decided to switch it over to an appraisable loan. And they said, but it doesn't matter what the appraisal is. And I said, cool, then don't get one. You're not having an appraisal. And these people, same thing with the, not to get off track, but with the inspections. And they say, oh, we're just doing a home inspection, but it doesn't matter. We're, we're just doing it for our own entertainment. I say, awesome, do that after closing then. Yeah, yeah right? it's, a, it's an interesting thing because those things that don't matter end up mattering. You know, the ones that did the cash and then all of a sudden they get the financing that doesn't matter what the appraisal goes. All of a sudden that appraisal, 30000 under what you paid for it, now it starts becoming a problem. And by the time you get to that point, what are you going to do about it? Yep. You know, I mean, from a from a seller standpoint, I mean, okay, yeah, you're you're a jerk, and I'm going to make you force you to do this. Well, now your house is off the market. You know, if and you're hoping that you're going to be able to convince someone and go through the courts to get them to buy it, they might not buy it. And so yeah. it's like you're in a bad position. Well, let me ask you this then. So when you come down to a deal and you're working, it's okay. We're we're hot on a topic here. We 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 get wound up a little too much coffee. Um, the the idea there is this. So now you have a deal and you do a home inspection. Um, you say it's not contingent upon the inspection, but you want to do an inspection. I say, no problem. As long as your earnest money is hard money. Yeah. They go, well, what does that mean? I go, non-refundable at this point. When we sign it, it's our money. You can do as much as you want to the house. You can bring designers out, decorators, contractors, but the $5,000 of earnest money you put down is non-refundable um, if we sign this. And agents act like I'm just the biggest, you know, crazy in the world. They're like, why would you expect us to do that? And I go, you're trying to tell me you're a solid cash buyer, meaning you have no contingencies. And then you're jamming a bunch of contingencies up on us and, and you're not expecting us to respond to that. It's just total crap. Andy, I got a question. Did you get a little sick from this, this dog photo or, or why? Are you yeah, the dog was licking my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, yeah, that's my buddy, uh, Remy. We, um, that's my mom and dad's pontoon. I was, I was kind of being a, um, 
uh, I had a day where I was just like, I needed to get away. So my parents have a, a place up in Big Lake, um, right on Highway 10 there. And uh, it's really convenient. It's 30 minutes from my house, probably. I grabbed the dog. I said, I got to go for a boat ride. This is right. At, I had some leg work done, uh, put some robotic parts in there so I can dunk again. And, um, you know, typical. Again? Again? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm the only 300 pounder that could dunk. So I just. Story time. Hey, I, I, that Remy looked like a little snack on his shoulder, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's a he's a good he's a good partner. He, he just comes along. He's totally chill. He barely talks back. Let's get into story time. What what issues does a home with HOA bring? A homeowners association. What issues does a home a home with homeowners association bring? What yeah. it brings restrictions. I'll tell you that. Um, uh, most likely, I'll tell you. I just really uh, caution people to to read through that. Um, it's not the realtor's job which to read through that uh, items. I mean, a, a, a realtor should, but you've got to give. I mean, it, when you give these uh, documents to people, because basically what happens in the real estate transaction is that you you secure the deal, and then at that point, you have up to ten days in which to review these association documents. People right have the ability. They have the ability to release it within three days, but they have 10 days in which to review them. And a lot of it has to do with um, the financials part of it, but also rules and regulations. So if you got little Remy over there, you know, and they don't uh, allow dogs, or if Remy is more, they don't allow dogs that are more than 20 pounds, you know, you, you need to know that or else you're uh, going to be in a, a sad position. And um, unfortunately, I've, we've had that before um, from a listing perspective where buyers have come in and um, they acted like, oh, we didn't know about that. Well, you had the association documents. It was all told to you. And uh, I mean, in one case, they did have to, they had to get rid of a dog and um, that wasn't probably too easy for them. Yeah. You know, um, one of the biggest things I think that a lot of us um, that are in the business, you know, miss is when we're um, writing an offer on a property that has a homeowners association, but it's not a condo. So I think we, a lot of times, and I'll just, I'll just talk broad strokes here for a second. Condos, it makes sense. They have the right of rescission. They have the association disclosures They have whatever. Let's say you go into an executive neighborhood that has an HOA that takes care of the monument, the pond in the back and the whatever. That's still an HOA. You still have the 10 day rescissionary period most people don't even recognize that. Most people don't, um, selling agents don't provide the financials. They just say, yeah, there's a homeowners association that regulates if you put a fence in or a deck in, architectural control. But the same rules apply. If there's an HOA, there's an HOA. Now, a condominium is different. Condominium is where they pay the water bill or they pay the whatever I believe it is. Something a little bit different. But even an individual single family home HOA, you still have rules that apply that a lot of us skip over. There's still rights of rescission. There's still... Um, the ability to review the financials because you can move into a neighborhood, for example, and let's say like I live in a neighborhood that has a big pond in the back and it has a big fountain. That fountain's about a $20,000 to $25,000 item. And you move in and there's no money in the reserves because they blew it all. Nobody believes in it. And now the fountain breaks and you have to spend 25,000 and they assess you for that 25,000. They can do that. And if you say, why well, didn't know, there's a lot of liability put back onto the real estate agent, the selling agent and the seller for not disclosing that information to you as a buyer. Yeah, yeah. 
we got to give everyone the information to make an informed decision. And that's uh, with the homeowner association. Just don't mess around. Get it to them. Uh, get as much as you can information to people, so they can then they can make the decision, and then it's off of you. It's one thing to sell it. It's one thing to keep them away. So um, as a seller, you have no leverage after it's gone and closed on because they can come back after you for anything. So you just want to make sure everything's checked off. And and that's why, you know, when you're when you're um, working with an agent and saying, oh, my gosh, we're going to get it for this much less because this agent's willing to do it for this. Those are the things that might affect you later on that cost you a heck of a lot more than that one percent. You could have. What uh, what's your opinion on single family homes that have the, you know, two ninety nine a year? Um, and I know a lot of agents don't, you know, it's different when it's 300 bucks a month or 500 bucks a month. So people notice that and they, they really make it part of their buying decision. But technically, right, that homeowners association still applies to that single family executive home. And I mean, how, how serious do you take that, Chris, when you help your buyers? Oh, you have to. I mean, that's a 100% thing you have, you have to do. I mean, in some of those executive neighborhoods, it talks about, you know, not having any, anything parked in the driveway over right. 24 hours and so all of a sudden that um camper that you have or the boat that you want to bring back from the uh, you can't you can't do that and you have to just make people aware of that so and in, and in times like that from the opposite side from a marketing issue or standpoint if i have a neighborhood like that and i have an extra garage you know for that i'm going to really exploit that because it's kind of like hey bring your boat home, camp, you know, put the camper in this garage kind of a thing where you can't do it on any of the other properties. Um, the last year, people are really trying to like time the market, whether it's buying or should I sell now? Is there, is it possible to time the market? That's our next thing. Mm -hmm. Um, impossible i i don't i don't know i think you can get real you can get lucky and i think after the fact you might have found out that you can time the market but um i i think there is instances and andy i've, I've had a few people this year that have really timed it right based on having everything ready to go and listing when the right time was to go onto the market and it usually is when there's a run we always see it there's a run on certain types of houses so um right now um, like let's just say south of the river, around that 600,000, there's a run on that, kind of in the Prior Lake um, area. And it's like you can you started seeing them going, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, there's buyers out there that are ready to jump on stuff. If you can plop in there and get in there, they might shoot that price up. And so that, but the thing is you have to be just ready. I have another, I have another person that's just kind of sitting, waiting and waiting. And uh, we're, we're looking at what this – market is doing at this time and they're ready to jump in but they're also ready to jump out after two weeks their only their only purpose to list it is to try to get the most money they possibly can if it's not enough they're not going to do it and that, that that's fair i mean just like anything else you know when you purchase or invest into something it, it comes down to where timing the market is you think about like timing stocks or timing anything else in life you know it, it it's very difficult and very very few people are ever successful with it you're better off cost averaging, right? Where you you kind of buy a little bit at a time and you buy it on the way down, you buy it on the way up slowly and your cost in the middle is where your average is and that's where you go up. So with real estate, if you're an investor, um, you're seeing investors right now buying houses and they're paying a little bit more because they get the low interest rates. They can still make that house profitable 
when they actually are out to rent. Like their cost of ownership is here, rent is here, they can make money, they'll do it. It's it's when interest rates go up and, and if houses keep going up, you know, it just there's there's a balance there. So timing a market. If you're paying cash right now, a lot of people are not buying. Um, even, there are a lot of cash buyers, don't get me wrong. But if you're a cash buyer, why would you do that right now, right? Other than to beat out other offers, why would you pay cash when money's at 3%? You're, you're foolish. You're leaving money on the table. You, you should have that house tied up where you need to live as an investment, whatever, and, and finance that. There's Cash right now is kind of crazy. A lot of people will pay cash, and then they refinance it later and put their cash back to work for them in other places. So it's timing the market's an interesting thing. Because I look at, you know, the prices that we're at right now and you say, are they going to keep going up? And, and the math shows it will. It shows we're going to keep, we're going to keep appreciating. So then timing is good. You know, right? You buy something that's worth more next year than it is this year. That's great. Right. And, and people say, well, what about the bubble? I think what you're going to see with our bubble is you're just going to see less buyers in the marketplace. But with people with equity, unless there's desperation and lack of jobs or whatever, where people have to start discounting houses, which they won't, they'd rather sell it. Than, than take a hit. And, and that's why you'll just see more inventory hitting the market. So that's the, the housing bubble. I think you're gonna see the, the inventory coming back at us for people that are you know uncomfortable or need to move. But I don't know, so timing the market, I still think it's a great time to buy if you're financing. Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's interesting. I was meeting with someone this week and we were kind of going through, um, he actually works for a company that buys bad loans. You know, and so that's what they're doing. I said, well, business must not be as great. And he goes, no, but they're really ready to be able to kind of pounce on some areas. And I said, well, is, is Minnesota one of them? He said, no, it's not. Um, because they, they're thinking that people are going to escape from the cities and, uh, and, and move out. But he thought it would hit California and Florida yeah. and those areas well, that are look really at the numbers Florida. Florida still has like an 8% default rate and people yeah. are investing down there like crazy right now. They're buying and they're, they're throwing money at things and paying cash and doing crazy things to get their house in Florida. And I'm like, you got a lot of people buying in Florida that aren't from Florida. There's a lot of people in Florida bringing money to Florida. They don't make money in Florida. So you got to be careful because you're always at the end of the sword on the investor or the second time homeowner um, and what they perceive as value. But he also said that a lot of people are taking their money out of like um, shopping mall REITs and stuff like that. And then they have to put it somewhere and they're going to residential real estate in VRBO. And what they're looking at is they're looking at kind of the, the whole thing versus, hey, I bought this one property. Here's what I'm going to get. They've got 5,000 properties and this is the return they're going to get when you put all 5,000 together. Right. It, it, yeah. Like a mutual fund. Sure. Yeah. Couple, couple things. I think there was almost a hundred deaths from that Miami building. It finally came out the last victim. That's crazy. The the condo that collapsed. Wow. And then, and then second of all, I used to be in love with Airbnb, but it's totally over now. I mean, it's way more expensive than hotels and in, in most of Europe. I mean, there's maybe a couple countries left that Airbnb is working because everyone bought up everything to do Airbnb, and the prices and the fees just went through the roof. Yeah, they're trying to they're trying to get money back on their investment versus people were just trying to kind of like, hey, I'll supplement my payment for it, and that's what was happening. And now they're all saying, oh, geez, gosh, that Airbnb is hundred fifty a night. I've been charging forty seven dollars. I'm gonna get it up to one twenty five. I'm still gonna make it, but yeah, it shuts out the people well, that are really using them. 
<laughs> yeah, and then think about the um, think about the concept of this. You're a hotel owner and you've got fifty percent occupancy. So what do you got to lose? Start discounting that down. Take that business away from the Airbnbs and give people deals again. And that's that's what true marketplace competition provides the benefit to the consumer. When they're competing, the consumer wins. When there's no competition, obviously, you know, for an example, uh, if you have the ultimate house on the peninsula that everybody wants to rent on the 4th of July, you're always going to be full. If you have an average, you know, uh, off the water, you got to walk to the public access, you, you're screwed. I just, because unless you're an exceptional property in the Airbnb business right now, um, I think you're, because my, like, I'll give you an example. Connor, uh, my son, was just um, trying to plan out a, a trip with a bunch of his buddies. And they're like, we want to go somewhere in Brainerd couldn't find anything that was reasonable. So they said, let's go south. So they went down to like Lake Pippin, Pepin, um, and they found a house right on the river, Sandy Beach, um, 200 bucks a night. They're like, it's going to cost us each 88 bucks for the whole weekend, each guy and their girlfriends, right? So they go, you can't even rent the hotel room for that. So they were, they're all very excited. And then they have their own space to hang out. So in that case, I'm seeing where you're right, Nick. Some of those people will be competitive and keep their, their, their money. Plus they just remember this. They got their butts kicked for the last, you know, what, year um, with everybody being in COVID and they weren't leasing to anybody. So this kind of goes into our next topic, uh, the top dog in the neighborhood, Andy's analogy. We, so buying the top house in a neighborhood, is it a good or bad idea, Andy? And can you give us an analogy? Am I the or buying agent or the selling agent? It's it's your it's your segment. You can be whatever you want to be. Well, okay. So as a selling agent, I think it's a fantastic opportunity for you and your family. On the other hand, as a buying agent, I always get a little weary when you go into a development where, let's say, you're in a neighborhood. This happens a lot with like existing houses where, you know, the um, the Brooklyn centers, the Crystals, where they have the the same house. There's that 1,100 square foot Rambler, and then you add a four season porch for you know sixty thousand, and you remodel the kitchen for another fifty thousand. There's diminished returns in some areas. And what I mean by that is that some pockets where there's a lot of comparable properties to compare to, um, you have a diminished return on the investment you make. So as the person making the decision to invest in that property or overinvest, as they say, or add the pool or whatever in the wrong neighborhood, you're making that decision for you and your family. And if you live there a long time, and then don't worry about it. If you're going into a neighborhood buying the most expensive house and it's not exceptional, meaning it's not on the lake, or it's not something where, you know, there's going to be that demand in the future, you're really taking a risk because it, it just won't appraise unless you can find another cash buyer. You know, in the future, the highest houses always have appraisal issues. So that's usually where the best values are in foreclosure times. Uh, you're muted. Go. I've got a listing right now um, that we are higher priced than what has been happening out there. But it's also in a neighborhood that hasn't quite made all the improvements that they need to make to be able to be kind of to that next level. All the houses are 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 well worth it based on everything that's around it. But when you start putting in uh, the new windows and remodeling all the bathrooms and adding porches on, if you have to do that on one of the houses, let's just say you're going to pay six fifty for, and you go to a house that's already got all that stuff in, and you're going to pay seven fifty. I mean, from a buyer standpoint, it's kind of like, hey, it's all done. I'm going to be able to kind of go on the upswing. These guys are all going to have to pay that money, you know, 
So they're gonna and they're gonna probably be at eight hundred thousand because it's gonna cost you at least that. I mean, a, a freaking the three season porch that this has with a fireplace and everything. I mean, it's got to be you know sixty seventy grand easily for that. The windows were that, and the the bathrooms three bathrooms were a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, they're top of the line. And so you add all that up, and then you're thinking, gosh, it actually does make some sense. And when we talk about the appraisal now in the immediate neighborhood, we might not be able to get those comps. But we're going to be able to get comps that are within miles because it's actually a bargain because it's in that neighborhood, even though it's the more expensive house. So yep. I think in some cases, and I think other people in, in some cases too, would rather be the biggest house in the neighborhood than be the smallest one in a real nice neighborhood. You know, they want all these amenities and they're going to get them. And then that price is going to be held down because it's the highest price in the neighborhood. So it might be seven fifty, but gosh, if I, I went to the bat, the, other neighborhood that had executive homes that were in the, the million, million and a half. I'm going to pay 950 for this thing. I'm going to be the worst house over there. Over here, I could be the best house at 750. I saved my payment and I'm happy. So, well, you know, maybe your kids need to be in that school district, or maybe you have, um, you know, family needs where you need a certain style of house or a certain size. And so then it makes sense for you to make the decision to buy the biggest or the most expensive. I think that where you know, um, when it's blatantly obvious that there's all split entries in the neighborhood, then at the end of the cul-de-sac, the guy builds a million dollar uh, two-story with a pool and a tennis court, and he's at 1.5 million, and everybody else in the neighborhood's at 350. That's an obvious no-brainer. You're, you're an idiot to buy that house. Right. But that guy that builds that house or gal that builds that house should know that, and they're probably being counseled into knowing that, yes, you're building a house that's not going to give you all the money back when you sell it. That happens all the time. You know, I talk about that, Chris, all the time where you know, especially when you get into that million plus dollar price range, there's people that buy houses for 2.9 million and also turn around in a couple of years and sell for 2.4 and, and, and don't care because they got the money to not care and they want to get rid of it and move on to the next project. And, and that, so it's funny how we all think we're, we're climbing the ladder, right? And we're successful and, oh, I can afford a $600,000 house. Now I can afford a million dollar house. There's people out there that are writing cash for $10 million houses. You know what I mean? So it's like, that's a whole different bracket or stratosphere of houses and, and buyers that have the ability to forgive 500,000 versus the person that climbed the ladder will never give up 500,000. It will probably die in that house, you know, trying to hang on to it. Right. They want, they want what they want and they'll pay for it. And they, and they look at houses, not necessarily as a retirement. They've got money coming in elsewhere where a lot of people look at your house as your retirement. Um, they don't look at it like that. They look like, Hey, this is what I want and I'm willing to pay for it. And that's what it is. And if I can't, I, I if I can, that whole 2.9, 2.4 scenario, it is what it is. Now we have to move on. And someone might not like my my shooting range that's in the basement or my 17 car garage that uh, has, uh, you know, uh, rotating uh, disco lights in it. And, and that's fine. But I enjoyed it. That's what I wanted. You talked about that one guy who flipped on the light behind his bar. And I mean, all this his cars turned on. I mean, he's not going to get that money back, but that's what he wants. Selling out from under renters. We had a question sent into us. We are looking to sell our single family home. That's that we have been renting out. Should we give notice that we're planning to sell, show the house with the renter still in it or terminate the lease and stage the house for sale? I know what I say. 100% terminate that lease and stage the house for sale get rid of them because they're not going to be uh, super helpful or incentivize them, incentivize the renter 
to be able to um, help you sell it. And what I mean by that is that, hey, if we sell it and you're um, okay with what the closing date is, we'll give you $5,000 to relocate. Because when renters do it, number one, they want 24 hours notice. You know, you don't want that saddling a potential buyer that's coming in that wants to see it, okay? Number two, um, they're probably not gonna have it looking the best, you know, and have it every bed made and every crumb picked up and, you know, the toast that they took out of the toaster, you know, that's still sitting on the countertop, you know, they're not gonna take care of that and that that's going to affect uh, what you do. So I would, I mean, number one, if well, I would get rid of them and then stage the house. Number two, incentivize them. Number three, just cross your fingers and hope that it works out. Yeah, you know, when it comes to investment properties too, um, the first thing you need to do when you're, unfortunately, this is, I'm gonna talk anti-renter for a second. First thing you do before you sell a rental property is you raise the rent. And because a lot of people that have it, let's say that there's a lease, it's a two-year lease, and you can't get out of it, but you want to liquidate and or whatever. So then you're, then you're stuck in that lease. But if you're negotiating a lease, this is the old trick where you buy the apartment building, you put some lipstick on it, and then you raise everybody's rent, and then you put the building back up for sale. And that's how a lot of people made millions of dollars in, in uh, commercial real estate, multifamily homes over the years, is, is flipping, right? Um, and so what, what happens is when you have a lease, you can also sell a property with a tenant in there. Um, and what will happen is they'll just base the value on the cap rate, right? So the cash, the return on the investment. And most investors I have dealt with in the past want to see an 8 to 10% return. Um, you know, um, so you take that back, capitalization um, rate back, and you say, listen, um, if we buy this property and, and you have a rent at this much and you pay this much, does it make sense? And that's all it is. It's an equation. Because if it's like, like Chris was talking about, if, if you, own, you bought 5,000 properties or 300 properties, whatever, 50 properties, as you buy them, it becomes a portfolio. Eventually, it performs at a certain rate of return. And that's what most people are looking at. What's the return? So, but you're right. Renters generally are renting the property. So they're living in it. They feel no obligation to allow you to interfere with their lives. So they might be cooking dinner while you're walking through doing a showing and you really don't get a chance to look at the property the way you may want to look at it as an investor. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think, you know, that there's a big distinction in that, uh, that question um, from single family home to like a multi-unit thing, because at that at that point, I want the renters in there and want them to pay as much as they can. But it's right. like it's like selling a business. I mean, uh, when you when you're going to sell a business, you get rid of people to try to make that bottom line a lot bigger because you pay based on that. And that's the way a lot of investors will look at it, and who the people that are financing it are going to look at. So, yep. Uh, let's go into our game time. This segment blew up. I think uh, we're at five hundred some views on our clip of it from last week and now we have a new edition did i it's win that game? was there a winner in that game did i win did, it, did we vote I like no, to... we should make some rules where you can win but the rules now are i'm going to show you three places you guys analyze them at the end you say which one you're going to buy which one you're going to rent and lastly which one you are going to dump these are cabins and kind of not the most popular lakes but around um St. Cloud, Rice, a couple other places outside of the, the Twin Cities area. So here's the first one. In Rush City. Okay. It's a little north. Andy, you know that? Uh, yeah, that's up 35 north of us here, yeah. Right, right. 
Okay, so a detached garage. Looks like it's a gentle, gentle sloping. Looks like a, a septic system is on the right-hand side there. Um, looks like it hasn't been taken care of very much so far. It's under that Zestimate, three-bedroom, two-bath. I would say, I mean, that's a. it looks like on an open part of the lake, which is nice, so you get views. Um, what do you think, Andy? Do you know that lake is good? You know, in that area, Rush Lake is probably the most desired lake in that area because of the size, good fishing. Um, I, would, I would say that, you know, based on looking at um, – that property in that price range, um, 300 is a hard uh, property price to hit, you know. Um, and without, and here's a perfect example, and not to take the fun out of our game, but I would not, when I don't know, I, I, I refer to another agent and I would grab a local expert like in Rust City and I would say, okay, guys, you know, is this a good deal? Because to me, 330 seems like a good deal. Now, if you go up there and everything else is for sale for 250 around the lake, it may not be the deal. So, Without having that scope of, of um, experience, um, I would I would first hire another agent to help me because the the three percent they make or two point seven they make is is worth saving me losing fifty thousand um, all day long. Okay, but we're we're playing a game, so you have to play, and the game is so this is this is uh, Connor that's buying one of these places. I mean, it's close to the city. I kind of like that as well. So it's not like a I mean, it feels like a cabin to me. Okay. Um, Let's go through the other ones first, and then we'll make okay. a decision which one we'll buy, dump, or rent. Okay. This next one is in Rice, Minnesota. So that's outside of St. Cloud. So, again, we're within uh, probably an hour and a half of the cities on there. Um, that's a little small. Yeah, that's the size of my shed. 420 square feet for 325. <laughs> That was a price reduction, price reduction yeah. on the 23rd of July. So they've been struggling to sell that one. I mean, in, in a kind of a good lake time, I don't know how long that's been on the market, but obviously it's someone trying to take advantage of our little um, run on lake lakefront homes. And I just think that, to me, you, you can't do that. I mean, it, when, when you do that, it's only going to cost you more money. Then people are going to sit here and say, there's something else wrong with it. I, I know it's only 420 square feet, but you know what? It's right off Westlake Road, and there's there's drunk drivers that go on there, and they crashed into the other half of the house, and that's why they tore it down. And that's what they come up with. Excuse me. Oh. That's nice to cover your mouth on. Okay, so let's go to the next one. Does, does Andy have thoughts on that one? Much? Oh. Um, yeah, you know, I, to me, paying 325000 for a 420 square foot cabin, I think you're flipping nuts. You're paying for a lot, right? Oh my God! I hope so. Yeah, yeah. But you know what, Andy? I'm yeah, not I mean, honestly, to me, to me, I see a 165 on that cabin all day long, and I know that sounds like I'm lowballing. I, I don't see. I, there's so many cabins in that area that sell for 150 to 225. I mean, all day long. So just because you're new doesn't mean this is like the most expensive house in the neighborhood. So just because you rebuilt and built a small cabin doesn't mean you're going to get your money back. I wonder if there's a bigger lot where you can bring like your campers up there too, you know, yeah. and kind of walk up to it and have that as an additional piece of it. So we, we're going to have to, we're going to have to think about that. When we're Do more doing. research. Well, um, right there, Andy. This is Longville, Minnesota. 
150 grand. Two bedroom, one bath, 960 square feet. So it's twice as big as the last one and about a third the price or uh, about 40% of that price. I'm cheating. I'm looking it up. Yeah, so this is it's on it's on Girl Lake, close to Grand Rapids. Oh, that's north of Brainerd. That's way, way, way up north. So, um, does it have? I know we just have the screenshot here, but do we have like uh, the size of the lot that it's on, or not? We don't. Like we don't get that. We don't get that. Uh, so you know what's cool? What's cool about that uh, that place? Um, that that at 150 is probably a good deal from what I can see. Um, looking at the different that's that's south south um, east of Leech Lake, um, so you're seeing um, a high demand, very exciting area. Um, I'm not sure exactly what lake. I haven't seen that. I'm trying to zoom in. There's a lot of properties in that area in this area, believe it or not, that are way more expensive. Um, you know, it's on Girl Lake. It's on Girl Lake, yeah. Yeah, cute little lake. And then Woman Lake. <laughs> it's Girl Lake and Woman Lake. And Little Boy Lake. And then Rice Lake. <laughs> oh, Actually, that's right. That that place is right in Longville. That's nice. Okay, so is it a recreational lake, Andy, or is it conservation? It, it's recreational. And, and Girl Lake seems to be connected to, um, to uh, what they call... Uh, broad water lake um so it's part of a chain so yeah. i i i'll be honest with you on the three of them i'd buy that one right there for 150 um unless there's something wrong with it like when i when i view it like is it on a swamp i really can't see the photos i don't know if you can zoom out a little bit nick or if that's a screenshot but um you know um i like simple i like ramblers i like off the ground it looks like it's on stilts so there's no basement um you know and and on a chain would be great I mean, God, for 150, you can't you can't even build a pole barn hardly anymore. Yeah, all right. I think I decided mine too. You want to know what one I'd buy? Yep. I'm gonna buy Rush City, and I'm gonna buy Rush City uh, because it's it's close to the city, closer to the city. Um, I think I I just got more to work with there. I don't know um, if that 335 <coughs> is is the thing. I I need more information, but. It looks like it's on a, a larger part of the lake. It's close to the city. I think I could do um, something with that one. So I'm going with Rush City. So my my Rush City would be my rental. Um, completely thinking about that VRBO, the city traffic. Somebody wanted to be on the lake for the summer. You know, maybe it's their their weekend cabin and they rent it from you for the week. I I I try to hold that one as a rental because I I can also service it. You know, from my house. It's not, it's maybe an hour north of where I live here. So, um, yeah, I would go, I would go with Longville to rent and I would do that because there's not a lot of money that is involved there. Um, if I didn't, I, I wouldn't lose as much if it wasn't get to, getting rented, but I think I could send my, I mean, myself, I could send clients up there to kind of enjoy it and maybe go up hunting and, and go on all those, uh, feminine lakes that they have up there girls and women and little kids and yeah. So this yeah. badly priced cabin is the one we're all dumping rice. I'm also. dumping it. No, yeah. no mas. I don't know. I, I don't know. There's, there's something that's, that's hiding from me on this one. I think, I mean, those views and that, that lakefront is, is perfect, but I just, this, 
this type of this marketing or whatever's on Terrible. is not is not encouraging me at all to uh, pay three hundred twenty five thousand dollars for that. Well, and I look at look at Chris three bedroom three bath with four hundred twenty square feet. Yeah, it makes no sense. There. Well, look at these different little sheds too. I think there might be three different cabins on here because they if all look three different. cabins. That changes my perspective. Yeah, I can't that's tell what, that. That's what it looks like. It looks like there's three little cabins on it. I think so. So, so if it's three cabins, are you guys making a change? What are you doing, Andy? Now you're now you got a little resort. I would rent buy that, 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 that one. Would you rent that one? Hell yeah! With, With three, three cabins. He's talking about the perfect resort for their family reunion, or the you know then then now you now three twenty five makes sense to me. The reason yeah. why they probably can't sell it is because it probably is an unusual thing to finance. So they're probably finding that a lot of people trying to finance that house can't get the financing done because there's three individual properties. Yeah, and they're all one bedroom, one bath places. I bet you that's exactly what it is. I just thought they were crappy pictures. I thought the the one in the middle was like the the lakefront side, and then the one to the left was the back of the house or something. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, me neither. But you can see on the middle one, there's to the right of it, way in the back. I wonder if that's what this one is to the left. You no, see it back there? No. Well, Nick's, Nick's totally cheating. He's not giving us all the pictures. We need more pictures. All right, so we're, we're, testing, gonna... we're testing just how smart you guys are when you first see something. That's what the okay. game's about, seeing how much you can take from a photo. Oh, wow. All right, so I've changed now. I think, I think I'm going to buy. I'm buying rice now. I'm, I'm buying it. I'm buying rice. Wow. Buy Yep, I've moved to buy that one, and actually, the one I was going to buy, I would I would rent, and then I would get rid of um, the one way up north in Longville, even though it's the least expensive. It's too, it's so far away that it's hard to kind of go with it. But I I like that three unit kind of thing, and I, I think I could use that for um, going up and hanging out and having friends come, and I think just a lot better um, situation from a having people you know like you go into their own units andy don't do you guys have that where your cabin is there separate units or is it one house that you just have separate bedrooms there's uh there's we have a um a barn dominium on the one side okay and it so it has like living um finished living quarters you know but it, it's crazy we were just talking about that last weekend for how hot it was the the pole barns built basically and then they have living quarters in there and for some reason that slab in there freezes in the middle of winter right and even still it's cool in there it's like it's air conditioned it's unbelievable it's still like a nice cool you know like in, in it it's unbelievable so we all fight to go sleep down there you know when it's hot hot yeah cool no but i i like you know from the world of a vacation rental by owner uh a three unit um rental property be perfect for a little family reunion or something too, so it's I'd, I'd be very on the fence. That's very attractive from a rental perspective. Yeah. Um, or if you like, you'd buy it, Chris, and give each one of your kids one of the other cabins. That'd be fun too. Have your own little like family get together spot. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you what, I, I I just cheated and I looked at the photos online, and one of the units is actually above a garage, and so it's not as. I mean, that's where you'd have to put your your unfavorite kid. <laughs> Like I said, I was buying Rush City, and then I was no. <laughs> <laughs> All 
Yeah, I still I still would like to rent Rush City out because I think it'd be easy being close to the cities. Um, and I agree with you on that. Other, uh, you know, Rice though, I think I, I probably you know because in my family that'd be perfect to buy something like that for three hundred twenty five thousand at three separate places, and then the farther north property up on Girl Lake, I think I would probably pass on. But um, but yeah, I, that, that would be cool. Like you're saying, like if you bought it, like even I mean, we both have the same families. We have two kids that you could make each one of your little cabins kind of like their own, you know, and they create their own kind of cabin. I think that could be fun. Yeah. You know, for, we, we spent about 35,000 on a, um, uh, a couple years ago. Well, not me. It was my mother-in-law did this. She, when they had their farm down in Marshall, Minnesota, and the old farmhouse kind of became decrepit and they, they found an individual guy that would build these huge like um, sheds with like lofts in them. And, and you can put kitchens in them. They're heated and everything else. And they bring it in and you you pour a concrete slab and it literally sets on the slab and it's made with recycled um the exterior is recycled um uh, uh, telephone poles and so it looks like a log cabin it's rustic it's rigid it's solid and we go down deer hunting we stand there and the first thing i said to my wife was we were just looking at another property and alex i said i'd buy two of those have them brought in side by side in the back for our kids and their families and then they wouldn't be allowed in our house. Yeah. Uh, we were out doing a market analysis yesterday, kind of finalizing a price. And I went past that that nomadic shack again. Remember yeah. the one that we yeah. did that one time? And uh, that is so cool. And Karen, who works with me, she was, uh, we, were, we were doing the market together. And uh, she was like, oh my gosh, that is so cool. But that is the kind of the cool thing that you take, you take that and put that over on that rice property. And it's, it changes the whole feel of it and they're you know it's I'm, real i'd be curious too to, with chris with uh, zoning like you know is that viewed then as being a trailer is that viewed yeah. as being a permanent structure is it is you know because it does kind of give without a foundation it's movable so it's considered temporary i know, I know it's interesting how to, how to do it but i see it like as also as a second home on a property so anyways sweet Let's go to our last thing, term of the day, earnest money deposit. Earnest money, and then add that old deposit on the end, huh? Uh, earnest money is uh, consideration for someone accepting your offer. It's uh, due within two business days into the listing broker's trust account. But it has to go there. It sits there until closing. The only way that it can be dispersed is at a closing uh, by agreement of both buyer and seller and or a court order. It's the only way that that thing uh, uh, gets out of there. And um, it's, uh, in, in reality, earnest money is kind of a joke unless you did what Andy said earlier with it. That's my opinion. It's hard to get. It's, uh, you know, in other countries, I was talking, sold a house uh, here in Minnesota to a, a family in Canada. And we were talking about the earnest money. And he's like, okay, yeah, then that's gone. I just want to make sure because they, up there, they do the inspection first, make sure everything's done. And then the earnest money goes down and it's hard. It is what it is. It's, it's, you don't, you don't get it here in America. You can screw up and you can do everything and still get your earnest money back. Yeah. It's great. It doesn't mean anything. That's why I say, why do we even take anything? We yeah. should just do a nice uh, a thumbs up. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what. So builders, builders have changed their tune with the concept. Of so they're doing what they call a construction deposit and construction deposits are non-refundable. They are the builders spending money on your behalf because you want to build a house. And if you walk, your construction deposit sticks with the builder 
and you can cancel if you want, but you don't get that back. So, you know, and they don't feel sorry for you if you lost your job or whatever, because they're kind of pregnant with that new house at the same time. So, you know, builders, you know, when they do their own business, you know, decisions where they decide, hey, I'm going to build a model home or a spec home and they, they put together a package and they finance it versus you may be custom designing a house or putting it on a lot that they wouldn't have picked. And now they, they face a challenge. What if they, you know, back in the old days, um, you know, back in the early 2000s, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, you talk about that and builders would, would build houses, didn't care. And then they got stuck with a lot of them when the, when the, the crisis hit us and they were seven, eight hundred million dollar houses. And these people were paying interest on them saying, we're waiting for the market to come back. We're waiting for lot prices to come back. And they slowly went out of business. So a lot of builders, what people forget is a lot of builders went out of business based on consumers decisions. And they don't realize that. I mean, a lot of them of course did stupid things too, but I mean, there was a lot of builders that were the victim of, taking a low deposit and then not having enough money to get rid of it. So think about this for one second. You build a million dollar house and let's say the builder asks you for $100,000 of down payment earnest money, right? Or construction deposit. And then you disappear. And now they have a million dollar house that takes them six months to sell. That $100,000 gives them that cushion that they need to get out of that sale. And that's why they ask for it. So if you, if you fail to perform, they still have enough room or, you know, I say gravy on the mashed potatoes to make them exciting. Otherwise, if you buy like a builder's model, earnest money, um, and you're closing in 30 days, it doesn't matter because there's no, the dynamics different, right? Exactly. And the other thing is, yeah, like you said, it's, you're creating everything you want out of there. So they might have to take some of that stuff and get it out. And that's why sometimes what they'll do is once they have the project set and all of a sudden you want to switch the tile from, you know, a, a wood vinyl plank flooring to pink tile, they're going to make you pay extra for that tile because if you don't go through with it, they're going to dig all that stuff out and re-put their floor back in. Yep. We, we've also had where, um, so just not to keep talking on this subject, but I've also had where people have asked us um, to do improvements on properties. So they'll buy the house yeah. and they'll say, well, but we'll pay you this price, but we want you to put the concrete patio in, or we want you to re-roof the garage. Um, I've had multiple different scenarios. So a smart agent, uh, a listing agent will ask for a non-refundable deposit to be made in the equivalent or a little bit more than the cost or the expense of making those improvements for that buyer, you know, and, and that's only fair. So a lot of these agents that come in and say, well, you know, we want the deck to be redone before closing. No problem. We just need a $12,000 non-refundable construction deposit on this build so we can have the money to fund this and if you don't show up thank you for the deck by the way but we're not giving you your money back right it's fair that's fair it's convenient for them andy you sound like a, a lot of italian smokers with that voice right now <laughs> he's got the accent to go with it too look at him he's coughing what, oh, do, you got, what do you got going over there andy I'm pushing my voice too hard. Okay. I had seven appointments yesterday and I was nonstop from like eight in the morning until almost seven 30 at night. And I about halfway through the day go, I better start wearing a mask here. Cause people think I'm dying. And then they, of course, every fears COVID. And I'm like, there's no way I have COVID. I've, I've had it. I vaccinated. I'm, I go, if anything else, this is me wearing my voice on. I got a little sniffle, but I'm going to wear my mask. So I wore masks all day yesterday. Did you really? 
just out of courtesy. I mean, you you know, if you think about it, we're out in the public and we're exposed to a lot of people throughout the day. And then that poor person you're meeting with, they don't, you know, need to get your cold. I remember doing those open houses when I was back in the States um, or the model home for like seven, six hours with that mask on. It can get tough. Yeah. Well, like I take my mask off when we're outside, but inside the house, I just don't want it, you know, people to catch my, my cold. That's what I, I would do during that time when I had to do open houses, I'd do them from outside and not have a mask and let them go inside because I'm just like, I can't. I mean, breathing, uh, but. What do you guys got coming up? What? What do you guys got coming up? I got a hot listing in Champlain coming up right on the uh, Elm Creek um, Reserve over here, the big 5,300-acre park. Beautiful two-story. Um, I got one there. I got one in uh, Andover coming, big townhouse coming up in Andover. And then I'm working on another, uh, believe it or not, on you're in a town, down, well, not you're in a town, but the south. I got a, a property coming in from Farmington um, coming oh, on the market. Yeah, got uh, this weekend got would come up with a fifty by eighty pole barn, backs up to the uh, Bradshaw Watershed Management. I want that pole barn bad. Yeah, and, he's, and this guy got it set up so you can put like a loft in it and kind of create this super cool man cave or a she shed, I should say. But uh, it's super awesome. It's all tar uh, to it, um, which is important because when you have that, it it opens up your buyers. You know. Yeah. Well, this, I was going to say that too, not, not to, uh, but real quick. So this is the time of the year as well. If you're thinking about selling in the spring, this is when you want to meet with us. Let us come out and see the house in the summertime when blue skies or what do we call blue water, green trees. Uh, if you're on a lake, it's, it's a good time for us to help you strategize for the spring. Because if there's any exterior work that needs to be done, landscaping modifications, whatever, um, you may want to do that now getting prepared for the spring sale. I think the market in the spring, it, everything is showing us still to look fantastic. I still think there's going to be actually a great fall market, um, you know, so a good time to still sell. Um, but if you're a planner and you want to plan ahead, contact Chris or I now um, this time of the year because we got the time to give you. In saying that, too, I just wanted to say, uh, Andy, that I actually have photos set up tomorrow for a house on the lake that's not looking to um, sell until next spring. But we don't know what next spring brings and what kind of um, – you know, we got the grass and everything. It's going to be perfect now. So we're going to take the <laughs> ground and we'll get a list of next spring. So I, I've got, I met a couple yesterday that I think we're going to be hired. Same thing. Stunning, stunning gardens. And I'm like, we got to get my crew over here and take pictures of this for you. And they don't want to list that spring either. Right. Check out our anchor profile. It gives you all the platforms we stream on. Obviously the big ones, Spotify, iTunes, but there's about, eight other ones that are free that you can listen to. We have clips, three clips a week on Facebook if you want to get a snippet of it. So check those out. The video version is always on our Facebook page, Real Estate Radio Hour. Fun episode, send in your questions. Uh, we're talking about getting some people on. If you have any ideas or people in the industry to let us know and maybe have a segment for them. That'd be great. We should send Chris out with a hard hat on and interview some of the contractors. We'll send John Pfeiffer out. How about that? Life Nick, with Fife. Let's yeah. bring it back. I know. And Nick, what about uh, why don't you just go through uh, and get some contractors out in Italy or Mallorca Islands and tell them how they build that one castle I just saw that you threw a video of. That, that was San Marino. But, yeah, I think I could find 
people that know about those old, there's a ton of castles too in Mallorca, Roman stuff and ancient history. That'd we be hit you up uh, with a couple of Remax agents out there, um, you know, the, that are in, in the towns you're in. And if they were, I don't know if they'd be bilingual or not, or if you speak enough Italian or yeah, feel comfortable, but it'd be fun. Could definitely find a Remax agent, talk about, uh, you know, vacation properties or retirement homes in Europe. Sounds great. Actually, that'd be a great interview. We'd enjoy that. Beautiful. All right. Well, have a great, wonderful day. Ciao, ciao. Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities.